Hi, I'm Jesse from It's Got Star Trek, and we never listen to Let's Talk About Treks. Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's best visions of the future, featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. This episode covers Season 3, Episode 2 of Star Trek Picard. It's called Disengage. Welcome everybody, I am Earl Grey. My name is Jack Dorino. And we are Let's Talk About Trek. Let's talk about it. Today we'll be reviewing Star Trek Picard. Season 3, Part 2, Disengage. The release date was the 23rd of February, 2023. 22323. Yes, I'm sorry. Please carry on. Carry on, (laughs) Smotley. This is the 22nd episode of all of Star Trek Picard, and the 875th of all of Star Trek. This episode was written by Christopher Monfett and Sean Trotta, and the director... Let me take this moment to correct my pronunciation. Last week of Doug Arniokoski's name. I may have mispronounced that last week. I apologize. Arniokoski. As far as I know, if I'm wrong, Mr. Arniokoski, you are welcome to come on Let's Talk About Treks and correct us. Disengage takes place in 2401 on an unknown star date. This episode, Worf. Worf. I mean, it's really all that matters, right? Worf. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> You never get to my MVP. Oh, welcome, welcome back, Worf. Welcome back, Michael Dorn. I couldn't be more delighted to see him appear the way he majestically showed up to the rescue and with Worf. I'm, I didn't. You were crying. I wasn't crying. You just reminded me of somebody who was trying to mimic Klingon, and all they do is just bark Worf like five times. Worf, 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 Worf. <laughs> There's a weird thing that happens uh, a lot of times when I start an episode. It happens so consistently mm-hmm. that I'm like, is this a, are they doing this on purpose? So every time I start an episode, the very first second like glitches <laughs> of the stinger, like when the ship starts to do its little Delta flyby, it'll okay. go for like a second uh-huh. and then it'll go black and it'll start over again. Oh, Does that ever happen to you? It's happened with Paramount Plus before, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's really consistent with me. And I'm like, they're trying to build something crazy into the show or something. I don't know. Uh, maybe. Who knows? I think there's a lot more little tricks and hints. And, you know, I mean, I got used to the uh, Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who. Now I'm reading a lot into, like, huh. everything now. This is interesting. So I'm very I'm, I'm delighted that Doctor Who happened to have factored into this conversation already. <laughs> Why don't we get started with the episode? Yes, let's. Two weeks ago. Yes. We're on the Elios, and it's now, when I see the Elios, I guess for the second time now that I realize how much, <laughs> like, I like it. Like, I like the design of the ship, mm-hmm. and my favorite class of ship, really, for, like, a small ship, for not, like, an Enterprise D, like, cruise ship type, but for, like, a, you know, like, my ship and, like, my ten friends, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a good little, like... The same qualities that the Nova class has mm-hmm. are what draws me to this class. It reminds me of the other little ships, like the NX-01 and Oberth. It's kind of around that same size. Sure. Just your little paddling around ship. I was going to say, like the mystery machine. <sighs> okay. <laughs> but I'll leave that out. Jack mentions that it's a Mariposa medical vessel. Yeah. Are we to infer that that's an organization? Yeah, apparently this is a link to the Mariposa medical movement. 
that was started in 2024 next year uh apparently in, in the alternate universe at least where's this coming from season two and memory alpha oh really yes so they've now drawn another connection to season two of Picard, is what you're telling me. Yeah, I mean, huh. maybe it's just a little okay. jab at some of these people that like to cry, that canon! There's a lot of good, but there's a lot of crazy, and there's a lot of, like, I can kind of ignore this specific event. <laughs> you know, or this tiny little thing. Because It's the yeah. tiny things that they're bringing back. I don't think they, they're they yeah. not making direct mention to, like, the big wild swings. <laughs> okay. Maybe it makes sense to to make mention to the small things just to like solidify its place in canon because you can't have people just pretending they're going to Star Trek V it out so yeah. thanks for bringing yeah. Cyborg back by the way <laughs> I thought it was interesting that they had the medical organization being started next year like literally for our timeline oh okay thank you it's the same organization that the doctor from season 2 on Earth was a part of Yes, that was what I gathered from Memory Alpha. It reminds me of the Voyager episode, Future's End, the two-parter where it turns out that our entire microchip revolution was started by somebody from the future. There could be in making an implication of that sort of sort here as well, considering some of the events in season two. The mm -hmm. reason that I was glad that you brought the Doctor is I had always thought of, like, a while ago like wouldn't it be neat if you brought like a time lord into star trek like you know bring <laughs> yeah. doctor who to star trek and then yeah. you know wesley came along and i'm like oh there's their time lord <laughs> <laughs> but when i watch this guy mm -hmm. it's as if ed spilliers is doing his version of the doctor okay just like his whole mannerisms and stuff so here again <laughs> Beverly Crusher <laughs> is by birth and Picard is by nurture bringing forth yet another Time Lord into Star Trek. Okay. So he just seemed really doctor-like. Like, especially there was a, there was a mm. part when he was saying, you know, this is a medical vessel delivering medical supplies to people who are medically in need. And Romulan ale and guns. Well, sure. <laughs> are they supplying both sides of a conflict? Is that what's happening here? Is this like an Iran-Contra sort of thing where they're like well, supplying arms to one side and then sort of supplying arms to the other side and like sort of fomenting political change based on... No, he knew he had to get, he probably had to get past some sort of checkpoint that didn't want him to go and heal his, the other side of, of the line. And references were, were have been made to, like, Doctors Without Borders, and you sometimes have to kind of do deal with dictators or, or warlords and stuff to be able to get into the country or get past the checkpoints to help people. Like he says later on, currency is currency. Something that he also had would be a, appealing to these people for a bribe. Sure. And since he kind of brought up the bribe himself about the Romulan Ale, as if the Romulan Ale wouldn't work, he figured the weapons would. That's the game. You know, like you have to get them to bring up bribe. Yeah. And then you can then you can actually hit them with the actual bribe, which they can't say so no he's to. kind of buttering him down a little bit. He's making the other guy bring up the idea. Mm, <laughs> like, I didn't okay. bring it up. Oh, but since you since you mention it... <laughs> Here's some guns. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bribe. But, you know, but, you know, I do have... <laughs> is kind of exactly what he did. <laughs> 
So, funny thing. <laughs> if you'll recall one of our polls last episode. Yeah. It was the trust no one. That was one of your worst lines. Yeah. So, this time Raker actually fixed the quote because he refused to say trust no one. <laughs> when he repeated what, quote unquote, repeated, I'm doing these air quotes, when he repeated what Beverly he said, that she said trust nobody. <laughs> so, I, I appreciate Riker for correcting that error. Nice. The segue here is great because as they discuss the plan of using the shuttle and calling the Titan, then we go right back over to the Titan. We're like, oh, let's go see what the Titan's up to. <laughs> and yeah, this is, I think, the first time that Seven names the Vulcan that's sort of sitting in one of the aft science stations. Oh, okay. Her name is Tavine. I actually thought last episode that she was a Delton because of the hairlessness, mm -hmm. but apparently she's Vulcan. Mm -hmm. Terry Metellus okay. actually put out a post following last week's episode that pictured and named all of these bridge crew members. You know, Suxier Esmar, who's Halian, who's over at, I think, Communications. Halian mm -hmm. being the same species as Aquil Lunari from that communication station where the forge went and, like, she turned into different things. The one with the dog. Yes. The murderous dog. There you are. Yes. Now we're there. <laughs> so Shaw sees on his arm console, I guess, like the ship specs, and he makes a note now that, like, they're armed to the teeth. And yeah. th then later, when they start counting off, like, what armaments that the Shrike has, I don't know why they all seem surprised at all, because apparently it showed up on Shaw's arm thing now. Mm hmm. I also enjoy Seven and Shaw's little, um, they play the rank game. Yeah, I don't know. That was kind of a dick move, if you ask me. Just kind of, well, I guess she was doing it first. Well, she was emphasizing to remind him, hey, these people are this rank. And he was like, well, let me remind you of something, little missy. <laughs> <laughs> these Starfleet captains are always like little missy and people. <laughs> We're very clear to mention several times. We mentioned it last episode. We mentioned it again this episode that there's 500 people on the ship. This is like an overwhelming concern of Shaw's. Like Shaw is constantly thinking about the 500 people on this ship. I was thinking about this. I couldn't get a good grasp on how big the Titan is or small it is. Is it comparable in size to the original Constitution class? I think that's about right. So... Doesn't 500 people seem like it's a little stuffed to the gills then? No, the 300 people on the Enterprise is not a very lot of people. It's not? No. Well, I, let me also say I think probably more refit Enterprise than original Enterprise. I just remember Dax talking about how they did really cram them in on these old Constitution class ships. Hmm. Okay. I was thinking about how the Big D is a thousand people on it, but it can hold 20... 500 or 3,000 people yes. so that it can do like big planet evacuations or other big ship evacuations or whatever. Sure. I think the floor space of the Enterprise, of the Constitution class Enterprise, especially considering that apparently there's space in the pylons, <laughs> I think that there's probably uh -huh. ample, ample, ample space and 300 people would fill up a very small part of it if you put them all together. Like, I think you could fit them all in the shuttle bay. Yeah, that's what helped me with realizing how big the D is, is seeing what a thousand people looked like standing on the hull and they're like one of the squares of the deck plating on the saucer section. So, yeah. okay. I have a lot of runner-up lines. I, I kind of do, too. That I didn't really give, like, worst or best to. 
uh-huh. but there's this thing that Shaw says where he's like, They dug their grave, they took you with them. Hold your position, LaForge. <laughs> uh, like, just the way he delivers it, especially the hold your position, LaForge, it just cracked mm-hmm. me up. Like, it, that's one of the first lines that makes me realize I would watch an entire series with him as captain, and I would buy the Blu-ray if, just for the outtakes. <laughs> right, just the okay. extra scenes of him being him. Okay. But So Jack, Jack made a mistake, I think, by getting the shuttle ready. Like, mm-hmm. as soon as he went out there, like, it alerted oh, right, them. Yeah that oh, they're doing something with the shuttles. <laughs> Let's get rid of that thing. Yeah, as the debris flies by, we can see the name Savick on it. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. It's the name of the shuttle. Like, it, Why is it spray painted on there instead of like in Starfleet lettering? It's on there like funny face. The lettering on the Galileo was spray painted on there. If they're doing a retro thing when having a uh-huh. new Constitution class, okay. maybe they're doing a retro thing and painting uh, the shuttles like the old um, Constitution class uh-huh. shuttles. It's been a while. Or <laughs> the shuttle Savic is a is a nod to the Vulcan Savic, and in the uh, Picard logs on Instagram, it's mentioned that Savic eventually made it to the rank of captain of the original USS Titan from twenty two ninety. Oh, okay. When we go into like the observation lounge, there were three ships on the wall. Uh-huh. And there was a Constitution class and a Luna class, and then the Neo Constitution class that the current Titan A is, right? Uh, I didn't know until now uh-huh. that that must have been the original Titan Constitution class that Savik commanded. Yeah. Yeah, it, it obviously had a <laughs> different registry twice number. But yeah. In like 30 seconds, Earl Grey makes <laughs> the thing. <laughs> well, thank you. No, no, no. You, thank you. You did it. I like when Riker clues in on the whole thing about Beverly's son, and he's like, Just something familiar about him. You know, the root of the word familiar being family. You, you know, I don't think Picard quite picked up on it. I, I picked up on it, but... I Picard feel like is... Picard had to, but also felt like that's impossible, so whatever. I'm not even gonna... Like, I mean, yeah, Maybe, I, yeah. I see it, but that's... I'm just seeing it because I'm seeing it. Like, I'm not... It's not real. Yeah. Like, it's just me being but weird. The, the thing is, is Picard has been... You know, people have faked DNA signatures before Bach. Yeah, Jason Vigo, right? Yep, yep. And and then uh, Shenzon. He wasn't his son, though. Correct. That's fair. Just as far as, like, being able to recognize your own DNA standing there in front of you. People have tried to get at Picard through other people and a biological connection before. This is true. Yes, you are correct. So, with the shuttle gone, that's the uh, the end of the teaser. Or is it teaser yes. or trailer? Oh yeah, teaser. So, what do you say we take a little break and then we'll come back and do some polls in Act One? Cool. Yeah, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Buzz Burbank. I never listened to Let's Talk About Treks. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, you. Thank you. You are very welcome, and you are welcome to enjoy this segment, which is our results of the polls from last week. Oh, goody. Yes, last week's episode was Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 1. It was called The Mm -hmm. Next Generation. So we had Mm -hmm. Best Easter Egg, Most Valuable Player, Least Valuable Player, Best Line of the Week, Backdoor Pilot of the Week, and the Worst Quote of the Week. Where would you like to start, Earl? Let's start with VPs. The Least Valuable Player from last week's episode. Remember we proposed one was Shaw and the Mm -hmm. other one was the guy who moved the painting. (laughs) 
He didn't move the painting. He was the painting mover, and that was his whole job, and he didn't even do that. And that's why. He's not getting paid this week. That guy <laughs> is the least valuable player of last week's episode. The most valuable players of the weeks that we proposed were Beverly Crusher and Seven of Nine. Unsurprisingly to me, the most valuable player of the week was Beverly Crusher with 57% of the vote. Oh my. Where are we going next? Best line, worst line. Gotcha. One was Riker saying, I like that seven. And the other was... You're going to tell me what the hell you two are really doing here? I'm about to throw both of you out an airlock and never look back. Mm -hmm. And with 57% of the vote, Mm -hmm. Seven of Nine has won for the best line of the episode. (laughs) The worst line of the episode... We proposed Beverly Crusher with trust no one because wrong universe Beverly. Well, maybe not wrong universe, but wrong show for sure. Yeah. And the other worst line of the episode was Shaw's. It's your reputation preceded you so far into the room that I started early. Mm-hmm. And with sixty-seven percent of the vote, Beverly has won again <laughs> with trust no one. Okay. We we proposed two backdoor pilots last week mine was sort mm-hmm. of like a fill-in because i just like sort of thought of something really quickly because I, I'm, I but actually like the more that i've thought about it for some reason over this past week i thought oh that would actually would be we really do sort of need a star trek sitcom i think i really could do a star trek sitcom <laughs> okay if we could have done like a keiko and miles spinoff uh-huh. with the kids uh-huh. and like them living on like bajor or, or them living on Cardassia. Ooh, like, there, there's so much gold to mine in the Star Trek universe. Why would you put them on Cardassia? It's a, it's a sitcom, right? She's not going to go yeah. real deep. Like, nobody's going to get kidnapped. Nothing bad is going to happen to anybody. But there's going to be, like, this constant underlying threat of it that's amusing. Mm-hmm. Where it's okay. like, you know, their neighbors coming over, they're hanging out, and they say something under their breath about, like, it's not like I was trying to torture you and hang you up by chains. You know? And, like, it's <laughs> they're playing it for laughs. Like, you got to play all of the, like... Horrifying. I don't know. That's I'm going deep with it. <laughs> but like, so I could do a sitcom with like you know like a Golden Girls sitcom. You know you'd have like Beverly and Troy and you'd have Laris, right? And you'd have uh, Kestra Troy, right, living with them. Like you know because you'd have a kid on the show, right? And it would just be like the four of them like living at their villa in Miami. You know, complaining about Admiral Picard. <laughs> You know, sometimes Worf comes and visits. And, yeah, so Troy would be like the the Rue McClanahan character. She'd be like the... I'm doing too much. Anyway. <laughs> do, do your show proposal to the right people. I can't do anything with that. <laughs> so the backdoor pilots we had for last week included that, as well as Star Trek Titan. And with 70% of the vote, everyone wants to see Star Trek Titan. <laughs> Well, there was one that was kind of a given backdoor pilot. It was a Section 31 show. Yeah, I think that's the same show, though. Oh, okay. I think I can envision that already. Like, Star Trek Titan and Section 31 being the same show, and we're basically oh, okay. seeing the two different sides. Like, imagine Farscape only, like, every other episode, you got to see Krasis' side, or you got to see Scorpius' side. Okay. First episode of Farscape where, like, John hits that shovel and blows it up, coming through the one, yada, yada. You see that first episode, right? And then him trying to escape with Moya, yada. The next episode, 
you see it from Crace's side, mm -hmm. and you see this wormhole open up and his brother get killed, and like you do a little building up to like what the relationship to with his brother is, right? And you do like some emotion oh. building okay. around that, and you make that real important, and then his brother gets killed by this alien, and he's like, I'm gonna go hunt this alien because he was because he killed my brother. You know, like it, it would have intensified both sides of the story. Mm -hmm. Like it would have drawn me in, so like I could see a Star Trek Titan being. I'm watching, you know, Shaw and Seven on one story. And that uh -huh. efficient crew with all the different aliens, you know, being very <laughs> Starfleety and very Star Trekky, and then yep. the Section Thirty One side where you have like Rafi and you got Worf <laughs> and like occasionally Michelle Yeoh. Oh, and by the way, on the Titan one, the Admiral that controls them is Riker, mm. right? So occasionally you also see Riker, okay, like talking to the Titan people, right? And then like so on the on the the Section Thirty One side, you also have you get Volk back. <laughs> And uh, maybe Sloan, uh -huh. you know, like get a whole bunch yeah. of Section Thirty Ones. You know, they have time travel, whatever. <laughs> get everybody from Section Thirty One. Oh, you got Bashir in there. Sure. Yeah. So the very last poll that we had from last week was, mm -hmm. what was the best Easter egg? Oh, right. One of the Easter eggs was the first contact music that repeated throughout the episode, and mm -hmm. the other was the visual Easter egg of the Voyager B and the Enterprise F. Mm -hmm. And with fifty-seven percent of the vote. The music wins. Woo. So Earl's gonna tally those all up for us and keep a little spreadsheet. And at the end of the season, we're gonna find out some interesting data about it. All right. Shall we go on with Act Two? Well, how about Act One first? That's what I meant. Yeah, act I know. The, <laughs> Here we are. The second Act, Act One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we kind of should just get away from calling them a teaser especially with current Star Trek they've really developed it into like its own full act yeah. you know it's like oh. a four act play okay anyway we we start the first act of the episode I suppose <laughs> with a, a news report mm -hmm. where in the news report I noticed this thing that they say which is nothing is known about the weapon I'm like what? what that's not true you visually confirm things about the weapon yeah like people who live there should be spreading the word about like uh y'all here's what I saw <laughs> they should know widely so because they don't tells me that someone is covering it up uh oh okay I didn't consider that like somebody knows all about it but the public doesn't know all about it so like that's why just specific people know about it mm. you know like the intelligence agencies I guess some people in Starfleet do know and some people don't know but like there's a lot to explain there mm -hmm. like I guess they can call it an explosion that like covered like a whole big swath of the city but it seemed to me that there was a space between the two areas of destruction that yeah. would have been untouched right right because they dropped it out and dropped it somewhere else and I think that there was a, a like at least a sliver between that was untouched it's going to be hard to explain why did it take them so long to produce the second end in the wormhole no like if people don't know generally that it's a wormhole weapon mm -hmm. then what you put out to the public is that it's an explosion that covered that whole area oh okay but inside that explosion there's a there's a sliver of untouched like stuff that's not damaged oh yeah because the wormholes were yeah. set off from each other so yeah. you i guess you have to explain it. it's two nearly simultaneous explosions i see okay i see where you're wrong about the that. only thing that we do know that the media is telling us <laughs> the only thing they're telling us is the thing about larock toluco mm -hmm. you know the leader of the romulan rebel faction you know being the <laughs> one who who caused this and i'm like is number one is there are there anything but rebel factions of like is there a central romulan government or is it all just well, like a bunch of factions now hmm. because the seat of the empire is gone well each of the 
individual planets in the Empire mm-hmm. would have one, they'd have their own central government, either a governor or sure. something like that. Right. And they could be trying to govern their themselves. They might have maybe tried to establish a new seat of power or yeah. a provisional seat of power. Yeah, I would imagine there's some sort of provisional government in place. I'm curious as to where it is. Mm-hmm. But that's neither yeah. here nor there at the moment. These weapons are from Daystrom, apparently. Yeah. What are they doing at Daystrom? What's what's Ooh. their main fun what's their mission statement? Right? Like yeah, that's a good they were doing androids and well they were doing mm-hmm. computers and they're yep. doing androids and now they're doing wormhole weapons <laughs> yeah that's how are those related is the daystrom institute darpa the defense advanced research projects administration like is that Maybe. what daystrom is they haven't made it explicitly clear but that's a good that's a good guess and now i wonder how much our current darpa is messing around with ai since there's AI out here, like usually they get the best stuff first, right? Mm, yeah. Mm-mm. Curious. I, I have to thank Rafi for recapping her entire mission for us, <laughs> and then I have to thank Worf for making me know once again that he's here. Because when he goes, "Do not seek blame, do not seek anger," I'm like, "That's that's Worf." <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it was it was either a a Vulcan or. A Federation raised Klingon or an android. Exactly. Like, I'm hearing the computers say the words the way that, like, yeah. the computer's putting hilarious inflection. Yeah. First of all, it's a female voice. And then it's mm-hmm. like a sarcastic female voice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's perfect to, like, cover for Worf because who would ever think that that's Worf? <laughs> when I read the words, I hear them in Worf's voice <laughs> as, I, as I'm reading. <laughs> so, ironically, <laughs> That was one of my runner-ups for the best line, or one of my contenders for my best line. Okay. Do not seek blame, do not seek anger. There's a thing about Rafi. Uh-huh. Rafi is sort of like the wharf character from, you know, season one, season two. Like, always ready to run off and, raw let battle come to me. You know, like, she's always, like, ready to, <laughs> go like, go. Stab somebody. She's, like, going in too deep, right? Like, immediately, uh-huh. like, oh, I'm going to run right into it. And Picard had to, like... Like pull, jump, jump over the little banister. Yeah, like slow down, Worf. Worf. Hold on, hold, hold on a second, Worf. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Come here, Worf. Come here. Hold on, sit. Hold on. Sit. Wait, wait, wait. Right. So this hey. is what. So now this, in his old elder years, <laughs> is now what Worf is being for Rafi. So now Worf oh, is yeah. being the card figure for Rafi, and I that would make a great TV show. Like there's so many elements <laughs> here that could develop into a great. You know, Star Trek Titan slash Section Thirty One or two. So I don't. I I would. I like the idea of putting them together. But anyway, because you know, mm-hmm. because when we were coming back, the first thing we were supposed to get was an anthology show, mm-hmm. where we'd like each season we'd follow a different ship. I, I mean, I'll, granted, I like the way that we're doing it. It's fine, but I still <laughs> could do the. Let me flip back and forth between two sides of the story or different mm-hmm. aspects of this. You know, I don't know. It would be really interesting for me. And, like, all of these small character interactions that are happening on this show, Mm -hmm. I could see them, you know, done more and deepened on another Mm -hmm. show. I mean, considering that Star Trek Picard is supposed to be ending, unless Picard's going to become the Section 31 Titan. I mean, that's basically what I'm describing, I think. So going back to the title of last episode, is Rafi Worf's next generation? I think, yeah. That's what, yeah. Yeah, it feels like Rafi's the the wharf of the next generation. Mm. 
like Worf would okay. go like off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> like just like, like Rafi, Rafi would definitely like put her comm badge down and go do a murder real quick and then come back and be like, what? I didn't have my comm badge on. I, I didn't have my comm badge on. Or if you had your uniform on. I, you know, I just, yeah, fuck tar, fuck tar. We haven't gotten to like Sea Wharf yet, right? Yeah. But like that was just them talking on the computer. But then we were hit with the Shaw and Seven scene, which is also great. And mm. I was like, the, just the two of them just like bantering back and forth for a second I'm like this is a Titan series like I could totally do this series I could absolutely do this series <laughs> well and there's a small easter egg when we're with Raffi and it's mm-hmm. an easter egg for bigger or broader star- sci-fi fans okay. but Ra- when Raffi says well somebody needs to speak for the dead are we going Orson Scott Card yes okay sure that that of course is Ender Wigan from the Ender series mm-hmm. yeah I don't talk about Orson Scott Card so I like Orson Scott I liked the whole Ender's Game series I liked mm-hmm. Speaking for the Dead I like the first three the first three books of that series were amazing and the rest of them were just like telling additional story right but the first three were like transformative like they, they held yeah. special beliefs and reminders of important values and perspectives that were very valuable to me especially during the time that I read them yeah but then the other day I tried to read this other thing by Orson Scott Card and it started with this guy walking down a hillside. I think there was going to be magic involved and he was leading his two horses and they were named Hitler and Himmler and I put the book down. <laughs> that was like the last straw. Before that it had mentioned the black savages from another planet and I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll let that slide. Maybe during the book, you know, someone's going to come to an understanding and it's going to be, you know, that kind of story. Like, oh, you know, we were thinking wrong and now we're, you know, like I thought it's going you know, uh-huh. to be about. But then when we got to the Hitler and Himmler, I was like, yeah, okay. This, I see where this is going. <laughs> and I, I didn't touch the book again. So that's why I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. Scott Card anymore. Even though those three books were extremely valuable to me. Yeah, I've, I've gotten through, I think I finished the second one. I haven't gotten to the third one yet. Another contender for best line, I think this was in print too. Because this is the title of the show, Disengage. Uh, okay. The Shrike to me looks like the Enterprise D with claws. Hmm. Like instead of a saucer section. Okay. Like that's just what it looks like too. Every time I look at it, I'm like, that is the Enterprise D with some <laughs> claws for a head. Like with a crown, like a crazy crown on it. Well, the interesting thing about the Shrike, you know, if it was a pieced together ship, like you mentioned, the deflector dish looked like a Federation deflector dish. And that made me thinking about, oh, is somebody cobbling together different technologies from different races and stuff? And they have all these weapons, even some weapons that Starfleet doesn't know about. Who else do we know? Who could be pulling Varric's strings that would be a fan <laughs> okay hold on that's me you're i'm varic you're you're talking about you're talking about vatic vatic yeah not varic raymond of the uss oh, movie, but right. please I'm continue sorry. well i wasn't looking at word. vatic yes that's right but i appreciate you remembering varic varic appreciates it as well <laughs> there's two people that come to mind and one we are for sure is going to be in the series so i'm not going to get to that because maybe it's a little too soon i think that trailer is a little bit of a red herring okay i don't know what you're talking about but okay what about lore oh yeah he's he's showing up i'm pretty sure that's confirmed i mean he's either playing lore or b4 this those are your choices mm-hmm. and i think that b4 would <laughs> It, it didn't sound ridiculous until I thought about saying it, but I think B4 would look a little younger, which he couldn't do, I think. I mean, yes, they have a deep fake, but I, I think it's probably lore. Okay. 
I thought the intention of bringing B4 onto the show was uh-huh. because B4 was supposed to look older so that Brent Spiner could continue to play Data in a body that was technically older and more. Yeah, I mean, I think that the head that they had in the movie looked younger than the that current Data because I think it looked like the one from Time's Arrow. Mm. But I thought that we were going to do what we did in the books which is have before finally click into place with Data's memories and become Data and then Data becomes Captain of the yeah. Enterprise but we decided yeah. to go a different way which is just fine yeah Jack do not see Blaine what anyway so Picard is placing um, <laughs> Picard's placing these inhibitors around the inside of the Elios yeah. number one I'm thinking okay so where did he get them because he didn't I don't think he brought them with him and I realized that Picard is using Jack's equipment mm-hmm. because I, I'm looking and Jack's looking and I'm like, oh, where did you? Oh, those are my. So he's basically like showing him how to use his tools. <laughs> oh, okay. Right? And Picard sort of does this again later that Jack, I think I see Jack connecting with in his eyes also. Mm-hmm. The original Star Trek transporter color was orange and in the next generation it was blue and now we're back to orange apparently. Uh, the bad guy's transporter color was orange, but uh, I think okay. the. The good guy's transporter color in this episode was blue. Okay. Do you do you think that speaks to like is that like a style change, a style choice, or do you think it's like mm-hmm. they use bad energies? <laughs> so they have the bad color transporters. I mean, the obvious answer is just that they developed the technology slightly different, and it's slightly different from each other, but yeah. it does the same thing. Maybe they got the technology from old Federation technology, so maybe those races that ha- still have orange have all older iPhones <laughs> they need to upgrade yeah Jack brings us back to a moment of Star Trek Prodigy to you know performing percussive maintenance on Beverly's <laughs> pod and then yeah. strangely the Titan <laughs> performs an immense act of percussive maintenance that I did not expect and had Uh-oh. not seen before but mm-hmm. had always wondered about where it just like zooms in and gets right in the middle of the tractor beam and cuts it oh right yeah that was awesome did you see the registry number of the Ilios during the scene? I did, but I don't remember it. What was it? NAR59019. Thank you for that. The Titan goes to beam up mm-hmm. our, our friends, uh, the boys, I should say. The boys and the, <laughs> the their boys. boy. Yeah. The boys. So, so Picard has to shoot the transporter inhibitors that he just placed moments ago, right? <laughs> and Whoops. now the expression that I think I see in Jack's face is like this cold realization of like, oh God, that's where I get that. I'm betting you that Jack is a crack shot <laughs> and Picard doing that in front of him was like, oh my God, <laughs> I wondered where I got that from and now I know. Yeah, so they are able to finally bring them aboard, and we get what I figure is the worst line of the episode. Oh, tell me what that is. Bring them all on board. We're basically a hotel now. Okay. (laughs) And we go to break. Yep, so let's do that. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Hi, this is Isaac from Unplanned Trek. Just letting you know that I've never, ever heard of Let's Talk About Treks. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome, you's back. And we're headed into Act 2. We are. Rafi is in District 6, and she's reconnecting with her former husband, lover, Jay. Husband. I say that because later uh, it's mentioned that she was his first wife. Almost immediately once we get back to District 6, I see another small little Easter egg. Maybe it's not quite an Easter egg. Uh Uh-huh. At 1711, just after Jay asks if she wants some marrow tea, 
I see way far in the distance a Cardassian-style space station. Oh, really? I think yeah. that there was a lot of Easter egging in this scene. Like, when we're in mm. this whole marketplace, I feel like, like a yeah. lot of the signage and stuff was pretty much all from something else. Yeah, any Orion that you see in the signage is actually Orion that's been consistent from other episodes where we've seen the Orion printed language. Any Klingon that you see, they actually called Michael Locuta to help them with that. I wonder when it becomes, when we go from it being an Easter egg to just being like we're in that universe, so we're going to see mm -hmm. things from that universe. In the early part of this season, it helps connect this show with the rest of the show. So Fair. It's, yeah, it's sort of an Easter egg because it's a blink and you miss it. And if you don't zoom in at the right angle and enhance, it's there. It's just not necessarily yeah. meant to be seen. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. So like, then it's just like, it's just a part of the universe that's uh -huh. there. Well, it's like hiding Easter eggs on an Easter egg hunt. Yes, but if the entire world is made of Easter eggs, then there's no <laughs> Easter eggs anymore. It's just the world is what I'm getting at. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, what do you think? First of all, I'm going to go ahead and assume that he's a painter. <laughs> and he's not just like wearing some crazy stuff on purpose. I don't know. I like this style. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting style, but people are going to assume that you're a painter. Sure. But I'm wondering, what is his connection to Sneed? Like, why is he the guy that can lead her to Sneed? They talked about being druggies together. And he talked about, you know, getting out of it for his son and his art. So maybe he knows Sneed from the time that he was getting really bad into drugs or whatever. Because so Sneed is like far up a food chain is what I'm getting at. Mm. So just your, your typical user doesn't really come near interacting with someone that far up the food chain. Like this is not, he's not True. like a fellow user. He's not like a direct dealer. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he, he probably sells to mm -hmm. distributors, I would imagine. Okay. Unless unless you think he's like a low-level distributor. He could be, yeah. Is he trapping? Sneed is in the trap, apparently. Well, the other thing that just occurred to me, as an artist, you've heard of a starving artist. Sure. He could have gone to Sneed for some money and was unable to pay it back. So Sneed used him for a courier to pay it back by working it off. Potentially for art. Potentially for art. Maybe he gave him some art for free so he could sell it. Maybe. So he could know Sneed that way. It could be something we, they could explore later on. Yeah. In this yeah, season. This, yeah, this is another setup thing that could be well explored in the Section 31 Titan show. <laughs> yeah. And that'll lead into an idea that I had for my, my backdoor pilot on this one. Oh, tell me. Okay. I was thinking either a Star Trek underworld or a star trek the other 98 percent. okay let's go let's go with underworld <laughs> yeah i figured you'd because go with that as it's got star trek reminded me we need to keep things evergreen so i think the other 98 percent is a reference that would fade after time and 30 years from now when they watch that star trek they'd be like what are they talking about <laughs> <laughs> underworld was like the idea behind deep space nine at the beginning and they were like mm, let's adjust it <laughs> <laughs> okay I think that he could have done both. I don't think that it was really fair, the choice that he made Rafi make. Right. Well, one of the things I kind of was hoping for is maybe she figured out her own way to get to Sneed without his help. And mm -hmm. he she did off screen because they cut right at the end of that scene. Okay. Right when he gave her the choice. His expression says, oh, crap, you're going to pick your... I mean, you know your career yeah. over your son but yeah her expression does that her expression actually yeah. sets us up for 
the whole concept of a wordless answer expressed by the guilt on one's face. Yeah. Like this is our this is our first mention of it. Is like, are you guys ready for this? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Let's prime you for let's prime you so you understand what this is when yeah. you see it later. Because this is the wordless answer of the guilty. So I'm ready for there to be a secret sneaky sneaky. No, she really did ask him, and she figured out her own way to get into Sneed. Yeah, that's that's interesting. But I, the the answer that was on her face though, uh-huh. was the answer that we, we all knew. Like what? Well, but I'm also prepared for the answer that's on her face. That's so hopeful. Even of you. later on, I no. appreciate your Starfleet values in, in <laughs> picking the best of of this situation. Even I, later I on in the episode, the answer that's necessarily on Beverly's face when we get to it. Oh, homie. <laughs> there there was no mistaking the guilt on her face. It was guilt and regret and like because she, she looked she looked well, let's let's get to that later. Because I have so yeah, those, yeah, those yeah. few seconds I have so much to say about yeah. it. Sure. We are back to the <laughs> Titan and the strike yes. and Crusher. Yes. I, it took me like my third time watching to realize what had happened to because like they beamed aboard and it was just the three of them and I'm like, what where's mm. where's Beverly? <laughs> Well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but so I'm glad that they mentioned that Crusher went straight to sick bay at this time. Yeah. I also appreciate Shaw's reaction to the whole thing. It's like, well, I guess we're we're here now. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't have any choice now. Like, this is what we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, let's do it. We've, we've jumped in with both feet now. It's right around here when I have one of another one of my runners up for best line. Mm. There's just so many lines later that superseded it. <laughs> On my first time through. My yeah. favorite line was Riker. We just all take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I feel about uh, a lot of the pacing in like most of the new Star Trek. Right? Oh right, yeah. And Picard is giving me exactly what Riker asked for. Like, can we all just take a <laughs> like let's breathe? Like, let's let's move it like a next generation sort of pacing. Like, we don't have to go to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Like, let me see the ships. You know, yeah. let's get to like know the people and stuff. You know, let's get back to twenty six episodes and not cram it into well, ten. I don't know about that. I don't know. So the thing, my 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 only argument about that is, I think probably what underlies a lot of the change for it, and that it was mm-hmm. brutal. To the actors so mm. i would rather them have and to go through half of the brutality <laughs> sir stewart is twice his age now well that's 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 all that's all true yes but like for anybody i don't care if you're if you're 15 to 30 years old like <laughs> the hours that they described having are, are brutal okay. for like much of the year yeah so like you know we just all take a breath okay and this is where we get to the you know inter captain vedic i i do like her joke about afternoon in the soul system. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's afternoon somewhere in the soul system. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, in some on on somewhere on Earth specifically, it's afternoon. Yeah, and she knows this, and that's yeah. and she knows this, and that's why I'm so amused by her yeah. saying it. Vatic is played by Amanda Plummer, who is the daughter of Christopher Plummer. Yes, and they were both up for Oscars in 2015, and she won, and he did not. Oh no, I didn't <laughs> catch on to that. Yeah. But of course, Christopher Plummer is the famous General Chang from Star Trek Six, so that's where the Easter egg comes in. Well, this is just the same thing again that we've mentioned, that I've mentioned a few times. You know, like Carlos Alrazaki and his daughter, who is in Mm -hmm. Prodigy, you know, and, you know, our friend Jadzia being married Mm -hmm. to Son of Spock, Mm -hmm. and Alexander Siddig. You know, and none of this. There's like a whole family thing in Star Trek. So, but, but, but. In this instance, <laughs> I do have to say, Christopher Plummer 
plays a <laughs> wonderful General Tang, and Amanda Plummer is playing a vastly different character, but with the same fullness of acting yes. that he was doing. Like, what, yeah. she, what he was doing very big and broad, she's mm -hmm. doing very creepy. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, see, I do not want to be alone in a room with her. Well, the thing that I want to know is you're talking about legacy characters, about legacy actors. What about legacy props? Is this the same chair that he was sitting in in the end of Star Trek VI I, and spinning around in? The spinning around is an Easter egg, I think. Yeah, that that is too, yeah. She's doing a great job, and I'm yeah. glad they picked her. And yeah. it, it rankles me a little bit that we're doing the family thing again. But, like, huh. I feel like it doesn't matter in this moment, except for the fact that, yeah. like... Maybe she got it because there's a connection. I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's weird. I I like her in this role though. Yeah. She mentions that she has access to like the Starfleet logs because she mentions mm. Shaw's psych profile. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she is using this profile against him like again and again through the epic. Well, and she's like, glad you're still functional. Like based on your psych yeah. psychological profile, I'm glad you're you're not standing there drooling. Well, yeah, I was just wondering during our break, how did he get a command? He's a great Starfleet command. Okay. He's a very good captain. He yeah. he might get on every last nerve of the people up below him, but the people yeah. below him, like he's his ship is going to be excelling. Okay. Like he he's someone who would be good as the captain of the Enterprise, but the Enterprise would be a far less fun place and Troy wouldn't be able to wear a dress. <laughs> okay. So sometimes people on the autism spectrum are so rigid and such rule abiders that if something happens that is outside of what their anticipation of what the rules are they will lose it and they will cease to function for like their you know a good half an hour or an hour and sometimes they are pulled out of it and sometimes they're not and sometimes it can be longer so maybe that if she's he's such this kind of rigid rule abider and he has to all of a sudden cross out of his comfort zone and go charging forward and being the you know oh well if my ship blows up and catches on fire kind of Riker and Picard kind of person I'm going to push back on that simply because not because of the, the actual content of what you were saying uh -huh. <laughs> but just based on the idea that Shaw has tried to put in people's heads that Picard and Riker like did stuff with no abandon because they didn't Yeah, they, yeah. Picard was very thoughtful about stuff they did yeah. it was very uncommon for them to just recklessly like careen into something headlong <laughs> until they met the dura sisters again picard didn't just rush into things when it was time to rush in picard rushed in you're right i mean he's coming coming from reading logs yeah and you know every week they have a, a new adventure i mean who seriously who has a new adventure every week <laughs> worth writing home about i don't do i call you every week and tell you about what i watched on netflix this this week what <laughs> Vatic drops the synthetic flesh reveal, and I'm wondering how far. Like, does everybody know that? Like, is that just everybody knows that he's a synthetic being? Like, because remember last episode, I was wondering, does Riker know that? Because they were talking about like their bones aching and them being, you know, Picard's <laughs> hands were stiff and Riker's back mm -hmm. was aching or whatever. But like, I wasn't sure that Riker knew about Picard. So if he didn't before, he does now. They might have to cover that in a later episode once if if Riker and Picard ever get a another turbulent scene or a not 10 forward 10 forward yeah. scene because yeah. the last time we saw Riker was you know back in season one and Picard mm -hmm. was not synthetic at that time yeah 
Because, yeah, and 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 she goes back to him again. She's like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I see. I see you're having difficulty understanding <laughs> the situation." <laughs> As if like, "Oh yeah. Oh, I forgot. Based on your psych profile, you probably don't even understand what's going on." <laughs> but then she delivers us the whole one hour trope. Like, "Oh, you uh-huh. have one hour to comply." Mm-hmm. This is welcome to Star Trek, folks. What comes next? Mm-hmm. Is probably the most action scene in the episode. Oh, yeah, it's when oh, the, the Shrike grabs up. the ship oh. in a tractor beam, and mm-hmm. she throws the ship Me at up. the Titan. <laughs> and uh, LaForge delivers us uh, my another runner-up. Oh right! I mean that one. Which, which she becomes like the least. She had. She was like a runner-up for least valuable player for the line because Picard uh-huh. asks what I believe to be a rhetorical question, uh-huh. and LaForge answers with. She threw a ship at us, sir. I, we know. We thank you, LaForge. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And now we are halfway through the episode. Shall we go to break? We shall. Okay. This is not Kate Mulgrew. But you are listening to Let's Talk About Treks. Now let's get the coffee out of that nebula. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you. LaForge is quoting her dad, and I think Mm -hmm. that this is a great trope moving. There are lots of little character points that I would like to see continued in a series, like the the way that Shaw's personality is, the interaction between Seven and Mm -hmm. Shaw, and LaForge quoting her dad. I, I like what she how she's saying and what she's saying about all this you know laws of physics can be de- defeated with other laws of physics and all this and stuff that Shaw goes and recaps their situation which is which is what that's where we get to probably my uh-huh. only pick for the funniest line uh, are, we, are we doing funniest line I don't think we're doing funniest line Oh, okay. We have six polls already. That's sufficient. <laughs> okay. But well, I'm, I'm with I, you on I, this I, line. This is a great line. It is a great line. It's a line I liked. It's one of my runners up for greatest line. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have to paraphrase because I didn't write that. So we are essentially cornered in space, which has no corners. Yes. And then he shades the, the Fenris folk. Like is it so? This is like another little personality quirk. Like so, he's gonna come up with yeah. silly nicknames for people to diminutize them. So that's a, that's yeah. that's something that I would like to see continued in the Titan show as well. <laughs> like I could see him as being like sort of a one-dimensional character, where we don't really see like some character development, but we see all these character traits mm-hmm. that he expresses. I think that okay. would be interesting. Hmm. Yeah. It's when we go into the confronting Jack in the observation lounge that we see the the gold titans on the wall, mm-hmm. and they are they're laying so that you can see them very well from like the a top down shot for some reason, not the yeah. sideways yeah. like Picard had. I, I thought that was just kind of weird to do it that way. Um, I mean, it's like he's hanging fish off a pole and won a prize. These are these are his Livingstons. <laughs> on weekends, he sets up balloons and darts, and they have a little dart game. <laughs> If you pop the balloon, then you get to take one of the little golden ships home with you. They're all set up like the bar, ten, like ten forward. There's no reason you couldn't use the conference lounge as a uh, crew it's like hangout. A, it's like a banquet space for just for the senior yeah. officers. I enjoyed the false JC identities, like uh, Jack Camby and John Carson, James Cole, Jarvis oh, Carvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually meant to look them up. 
and see uh-huh. if they're real names. Because I feel like they are real names. I know John Carson is a real name based on Johnny Carson. And I feel like I've heard the name Jack Canby before, but I don't know. Mm. All we do, by the way, in this ep- in this part is we basically we're talking about Jack. He's not really yeah. He's not really done anything yet so far this episode. Yeah. Like Picard did the transporter inhibitor thing. He was standing there talking to Riker. You know, like mm-hmm. he, he hasn't done anything yet. But he does plant the seed that makes me wonder if he could be a clone and not a biological creation because he says that he never had a father. Let me just hit these couple of things first and then we'll get sure. right there. Bouchard relieves Seven of Command for helping, well not of Command, but for yeah. whatever. And right after she leaves, is <laughs> Picard says this thing where he means to say Captain Shaw, but I hear, I, what I hear is uh-huh. Captain Shaw. It just, it cracks me up every time. I almost want to okay. name this episode Captain Shaw. Sure. But this is Picard, you know, advocating for Seven. Mm-hmm. When Shaw's like threatening to give in, this is when Riker steps in and starts talking to Shaw. And this is when I come to the mm-hmm. thought that, oh, Riker would make a good admiral above Shaw. Because you have mm-hmm. Seven mm-hmm. on one end of him, and then you got Picard <laughs> and uh, Riker at the other end of him. They're all kind of like putting this pressure of, you know, do what we want you to do. And he's still trying to stick to the rules, you know? Oh, right. So, like a um, odd couple sort of thing going on. Sure. Like where he's arguing with Seven and he's right, and then he goes and talks to the Admiral and the Admiral backs her instead. <laughs> and then we get to the to the Riker turbo of Seymour. He's like, Are you not seeing what I'm seeing? Tell me, honestly. You yeah. do not see yeah. what I see. And I was this is when I'm like, you know, I did kind of see it, but I just thought that they were doing like maybe they did that to, you know, red herring us with it. Well, we could still be red being red red herring. I don't believe so. Uh, Picard goes to confront Jack in the in the brig and uh, mm-hmm. starts running down a list of his crimes. And in this moment, Picard is playing Q to Jack. I imagine Beverly's built him up as this like great and and you know time and history. You know history has built him up as this this great figure that yeah. you know is is imi- far more immense than Jack in stature and mm-hmm. has now popped into his life to judge him. Yeah, so kind of like. Picard trying to stare down Q. I, I get where you're going with that. Yeah, and then, like Jack is like def- defending himself against the accusations. You know, this is mm-hmm. this is like the same thing. This is like the Picard Picard and Q relationship just for this moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, back to your you had mentioned, but that it was like a Doctors Without Borders situation, and yeah, the full Freedom Fighter bent that they've put to Jack is is exactly it sounds exactly like that, especially the part yep. when he explains that you know Beverly taught him all this. But yeah. Picard's well, Picard's shock at it is like he Jack's right. Like, what do you expect people not to change? Like, you haven't talked to her in twenty years. Like, mm-hmm. what you yeah. expect her to just be like a Starfleet doctor? Wouldn't you? Don't you think yeah. you would know? <laughs> well, the phrasing that he uses when he says an actual terrorist on Binar, as if terrorists are extinct. What? One of his strategies. No, like, he said, like, actual terrorism. He's saying it's not tr- a trumped up charge. It wasn't, like, something that you can deny. Like, you actually did this thing mm. that qual- qualifies as an act of terrorism. Oh, okay. And again, at some point, we may have an explanation of what that was and how Jack mm-hmm. didn't see it as terrorism. Yeah. Rafi goes to see Sneed, right? Mm-hmm. Like literally, literally just like bumbling her way. Stepping in. over junkies is one hell of a way to kill yeah. a drug den. <laughs> and this guy has this like this like California, like Compton, like NWA accent. Because when he says yeah. that we're not open to strangers, we're not open to strangers. <laughs> he just sounds like he's he came straight off an NWA album. It's pretty funny. There's a thing about the Ferengi makeup. Mm-hmm. 
that obviously is different, correct, than, than Quark. I think the genetic variation is okay. I also notice, looking back at pictures of Quark, that actually in Quark, it, I, in my memory somehow, the, the ridge mm-hmm. in the front, like above his nose, that goes you know horizontally, um, yeah. connects. But it actually subtly doesn't connect in Quark. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, on Quark, if you'll notice on the newer Ferengis, especially the Discovery Ferengis, there's uh, like what almost looks like style like not i don't want to say horns but they sort of come out like horns and then like melt merge into the rest of the ear but their direction is outward from the center i think i know you're just talking about like tags of skin sure their ears are jagged uh yeah that's that that thing so the middle part where it's like part of the ridge is actually part of another ridge sort of loosely defined this design of the ferengi Mm -hmm. is sort of actually midway between Quark and the Discovery Ferengis yeah. because Quark's doesn't actually Quark actually has a hint of that outward midsection mm-hmm. but this like defines it a little more and then Discovery takes it like much further I was initially bothered by it but I think that mm-hmm. it's just me being so used to Quark yeah and like the specific like DS9 Ferengi that like this is not all that much different it's probably a little easier to apply you know, okay. there's less 90-degree angles. The thing I'm not making a connection to with Quark is Quark's ears are bigger. Is he a better businessman than Sneed? Oh, maybe that's why. Hmm, so that goes back to maybe he is a low-level distributor. Ooh. Because I guess, yeah, because I guess really like uh, like, a, like a kingpin, you probably wouldn't know his name or like be able to get close to him. Ah, uh, and yeah, so the clues have now added up. Yeah, so he's like a low-level distributor. That's why the smaller lobes, and and that's why <laughs> someone who's just a street addict, you know, presenting as a street addict, can just get right to him. Yeah. Interesting. The other thing I realized just now about you brought up the other uh, discovery, Ferengi. There's no reason that Ferengi uh, might not decoratively alter their ears. Maybe just his culture on Ferenginar, they make their ears jagged. Huh. Okay. Maybe they're a warrior culture. But- a Ferengi warrior culture. Perhaps that's what it is. <laughs> You're going to buy from us or we kill you. But Sneed, Sneed peeped... Teed, Sneed. Sneed, Sneed peeped her right from the start. He knew when she walked in exactly who she was. I'm pretty sure oh, of that. Okay. Because, like, when she tried to pull the Toluco Gambit, mm-hmm. which was obviously going to fail, like, he was already ready for it. Like, he knew... Yeah. It seemed like he knew, like, from the start. So I'm wondering if Jay sold her out. I that didn't occur to me. Hmm. Unless she's just so obviously uh, undercover. Yeah, I mean that could be true too. I mean he he definitely throughout the conversation. The reason he made mention of the first wife is because he was saying, "I know who you are." Mm. Like that's why he said his first wife left and joined Starfleet Intelligence. <laughs> like that's he was just telling her, like I'm not I'm not dumb, dude. I have <laughs> lobes. Yeah. So do you remember the original Ferengis? <laughs> The original Ferengi from a million years ago, the Takan Empire one. Yeah, the last outpost. Yes, thank you. And they had the fur that they wore, similar to this fur that this guy's wearing. Oh, oh, oh fur, fur clothing, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've seen this fur since then. I mean, it's a little different fur, but I, I get the call back to the design. Mm. Also, the head tattoos. Yeah. This drug splinter sounds absolutely horrible. I don't know what it's for. <laughs> it can't be a recreational drug. It's like you, you're ripped oh. apart and pulled back together again and again. That sounds miserable. The only thing I could justify to make it reasonable for somebody to want it. Could you be addicted to the feeling of the 
the tingle of the uh, transporter? I think that you could. Yeah. I really do think that you could. I think that you could go the opposite way of Barkley, yes. I think that you could just transport yourself back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the point where they're like, uh, can you? Can you stop? We didn't get used to that. <laughs> we need to warp somewhere. Like, just like alcohol. It's just sitting out everywhere. Like, if you're at Starfleet Academy, it's hard to not be addicted to the transporters. So you're just walking, yeah. you're walking through down the street, apparently, and you just transport <laughs> somewhere else. Like, can you, you could do, you could do, can you jog? with those things and just like pop from place to place. You just run circles around in the uh, transporter metal detectors on Earth. Yeah. No? That's what I was saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. My point being, uh, yes. maybe they're trying to replicate that feeling artificially with the drug. Oh. Oh, now I connected. Oh, so instead of actually using the energy of a transporter, you can just pop this drug and it'll be like you're transporting. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, it's a synthetic transporter drug. <laughs> yeah. This is the moment when enters finally into the scene. I've been waiting for him for years and years and years and years. <laughs> He's my big brother, Worf. I've missed him so much. I knew, I didn't know when the blade went through the back of the Romulan the initially, mm -hmm. and he was behind the person, I didn't know. But as soon as I saw him like starting to move around in the background and slicing yeah. really quickly and just yeah. like ruling everybody, I was like, there he is. Well, and the blade that was sticking out of the guy's chest, I could have sworn looked like a straight blade. But then Worf is carrying his mech left yeah, later. Yeah, it's it's a curved blade. That, believe me, I've rewound and watched this scene many times. Okay. This but, is where, after all, my my proposal for best line of the episode comes from. Oh, uh, one Yep, mine does. One of mine does too. Oh, what's yours? You, you first. You brought yours up first. I told you, do not engage. Exactly. Uh huh. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> my proposal for best line of the episode. This is like the best part of the episode for me. I mean, there's other great parts of this episode, but this yeah, this yeah. to me is the most important part of the episode. And seeing him back, I'm like, oh yeah. So he could definitely be part of the Section 31 show. He could definitely be like Rafi's yeah. Picard, Rafi's handler. Yeah. And I love how they try to they they use the uh, Klingon Marsh accent more, which they did. They did. It, it sounded great. Yeah, and the Klingon March comes all the way from Star Trek, the motion picture. That reminds me, I swear that I'm hearing the Romulan dirge every time we go to Captain Vatic and the Shrike. Well, not every time, but I keep hearing the, it keeps sounding like Romulus there, to me. There, there's something, yeah. Mm -hmm. There were some, a, a few notes of, and bars that I picked up when we went back to her too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so leave, leave it to Worf to be to be standing close by like this when he repeats when he repeats i told you do not engage it definitely drives home okay so he was the handler and those little hints that they were intentionally dropping were were correct but leave it to him to be close by watching or was uh -huh. he using some sort of section 31 tech to get there instantaneously either way he was watching yeah that leads us to the end of the act shall we go to break yeah i guess i guess we shall no, the end of the act. let's do that all right, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dan from the It's Got Star Trek podcast, and I never listen to Let's Talk About Treks. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Let's Talk About Treks. We are discussing Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 2. It's called Disengage, and we are on the... Is it the final act of the episode? Yes, we are. The final act, Act 4. Here we are. This is when Picard and Riker are working on Shaw to try to get him to ease up. And instead of that, 
Shaw flips that tennis ball right back to them and says, no, you go work on the kid. Uh-huh. So they're supposed to be heading down, presumably, to go talk to this kid, right? But instead, they split up, and Riker goes down to see Beverly. Picard, I don't know what Picard does, because Picard's supposed to be going to see the kid, and instead, the kid escapes. Right. And his escape, again, drives home to me that he's Doctor Who in Star Trek, <laughs> because he pulls this whole, like, thing out of his pocket, which... Didn't they scan him before they put him? Well, they yeah, have a bad history of scanning people before they put them in the brig. But he has this whole device that he like disables the force field with. And I'm like, Doctor Who. This is the Doctor. Clearly. <laughs> he pulled it out of his Time Lord pockets. So is this his uh, sonic screwdriver then? Well, it wasn't a screwdriver. Well, well, it wasn't even a pencil shaped device. True. This sonic string driver. Oh, okay. <laughs> When Riker gets there, this doctor, I don't know if you noticed, but this doctor is Trill, I believe. Yes. She's got a joined nature about her. <laughs> She's got that whole calming thing about her. I don't know, like, do they choose the actors based on whether they can present an air of calm confidence that Trill seemed to have? She seems to exude it, anyway, through this scene. Uh-huh. Again, I would like to see her on a Titan series as well. Well, I mean, if there is a Titan series and she's the doctor that Titan, then she'd probably be there. I mean, one would think, but also Dr. Pollard is the doctor on Discovery. That's their chief medical officer. Yeah, and they What's going on with her? Yeah, true. <laughs> but Riker just wants answers. Like, he just wants answers. He wants the answers so he can force Picard's hand. Oh, yeah. So he's just determined, let me go get, let me go get Beverly, because... <laughs> The one, like, because Picard can actually override Shaw at any time, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have any reason to. So mm-hmm. Riker's like, well, let me go and get Beverly and give Picard some reason to, like, put some chutzpah in this. <laughs> right. Vatic calls back just to screw with everybody and for some reason gives them the name of her ship. Yeah. Is there a strategic reason not to? Is there a strategic reason to, is my question. Touche. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just the way that she says everything, yeah. like it's just it it just drips, like it's ridiculous, delicious, like it's yeah. it's crazy, like every every line she says is wild. The, my worst line of the episode <laughs> is when Shaw in this moment chooses to say he says a bunch of other things, but he ends up saying turn him over. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> well, I mean, what in the regs would require him to do that, other than the fact that they're outside of. Of Federation space. I mean, if you're if you're doing the weighing five hundred one, there's your mm-hmm. choice. You know, like let's hand him over, like whatever, be on our way. <laughs> Get back to the. Weren't we supposed to be going? They were they supposed to be heading somewhere. They're supposed to be doing like this whole oh, frontier right. day mission. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're supposed to be going and doing that. They didn't like, even end up where they were supposed yeah, to go. Just leave Jack there and let's go. <laughs> to, maybe we can do double the weed, warp the half the speed, whatever. The... <laughs> nice callback. There's a thing when Shaw says something about clearing your conscience Mm -hmm. so on my third watch I'm like oh he's setting the stage because now so we did already the you guys get ready for the wordless answer (laughs) right and now Mm -hmm. we've moved on to we're gonna do a conscience clearing so so Shaw's like we're gonna clear your conscience which is (laughs) just about to set the stage for Mm -hmm. the arrival of Beverly Mm -hmm. and that look that she gives him like first she's yeah. first she's looking up and then she looks down mm-hmm. and then she looks up again at Picard and there's so much like uh, you... she's a great actor let me say that okay well 
you got me on that. I mean, I I didn't understand what all this look was about. I'm like, what? How did he? Because she looked at him like, I'm sorry. She mm-hmm. never wanted him to know. She's okay. She didn't know how to ever tell him. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know how to tell him now. This is why she doesn't say anything because it's like, what am I? What do I? What do I say? Especially mm-hmm. like the look on her face was everything. The look on her face was like, like if it wasn't. If it like she didn't speak up and be like, hey, you know, like he's so and he's so and so, she got stuck when she looked at Picard. Like, uh, uh, and then the look was like, I don't, how do I say that? I can't even say this. Like, and then his realization of, oh, this is what Riker was right. This is actually it, and I knew it, and I just refused to accept it. Like, that um, was his realization where, like, everything just crushed in him, and he was like, oh, God. Because Riker was telling him the whole episode, like, hello. <laughs> like, isn't he sort of family? Like, Jack is, is he... about 20 years old, and when's the last time he... he... I, interesting, right? I agree that maybe there's a clone, but I believe that there's still, like, both of their material there. And... Yeah. I wonder, like, did this happen, or or if it was natural, did it happen? It must have happened during Nemesis. <gasps> you know, a lot awesome. of times when people are grieving, they come to one another for comfort. Yeah. And I could see oh, that happening God. after Data's death, because Picard's guilt was immense. Uh huh. And everyone like needed to pull, like Riker and Tro- Riker and Troy standing there in like at the edge of like a ripped ship. You know, staring mm-hmm. out at Data like I, Riker and Troy definitely got it in. <laughs> <laughs> and out, and in, and out. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, what? My best line of the episode is the mm-hmm. silence of Beverly's guilt. Okay. No, it's not. It's the wharf line. But still, <laughs> that was one of my thoughts. Was that that was going to be the best line because it was. It's. It's. She. She said nothing, but she said it all. Okay. To me. Interesting. I felt I saw felt saw like all of all of what she was not saying, and yes. the main point being, I, it is if it were an easy answer for me to give, then I would just give it. Mm-hmm. So Picard realizes, and he springs immediately into action. Yes. <laughs> you know, and he he actually so he reminds me of my father in this moment because my father often reminded <laughs> me of Picard because he was just like, just good and true, and like he would do literally anything for his son. And this is mm-hmm. this is Picard's answer when he said, you know, why are you doing this? Well, because he's my son. There shouldn't be. There's no other answer that I should need to give you. Like that's that's it. Yeah, of course. And then Shaw's Shaw's reaction of, oh god damn it, because <laughs> <laughs> now the kids flipping family. So now we now I now he's part of my family too. So now we all got to do this thing. So like yeah, yeah. Shaw begrudgingly leaps into action, which is hilarious. Like I really don't want to do this, but <laughs> this is what this is where we are now. So I guess this is what we're doing. Like he does a lot of like I really don't really want to get here, but now that mm-hmm. we're here, I guess this is what we're doing. Like I could see like that's <laughs> that's the character that I would like to see leading okay. the stars that you know the Titan in this series. I think so like a great. reluctant hero kind of thing. Yeah, like a like like dependable but uh-huh. just he doesn't want to be dependent on. <laughs> he doesn't uh-huh, want it. Okay. To, he wants things to go his way, and he'll do mm-hmm. what he has to do. But he would rather not. We get another runner-up for a really good line in this episode. We get the line that we've been waiting for all series, or at least all season, and that's engage. <laughs> yeah, like how was this pre-planned though? Because like on his engage, they ran forward and like fired everything, and then went to the nebula. But no one ever discussed that. Yeah, I didn't. Nobody discussed like firing at them, but he did talk about 
some things. There was some plan of action that they were discussing back and forth, and he kept on barking orders while he was walking around the, the bridge, and Shaw is arguing with him. You know, he, he told them to lock down the, the transporters and the shuttle base and stuff mm-hmm. to keep Jack from sacrificing himself and sending himself over to Vatic, barking all kinds of other things. Unless whenever we weren't on the camera, maybe they were also kind of make Shaw and him were kind of wor- working out, okay, if this really goes to hell in a handbasket and they are getting ready to fire, what are we going to do? Yeah, I mean, I suppose. But it, it like it would have had to have been communicated among the whole bridge crew is what I'm getting at. Because they all yeah. just like leapt at the action and did the thing. Yeah. You know, Shaw uses his chair pad a lot. Maybe he's texting commands. Like. <laughs> Probably. Probably. <laughs> Either way, both those both the commanders are aligned now to the point where yeah. they're even like eating each other's sandwiches because Shaw starts <laughs> the, Shaw starts it with they're looking for a fight. And then Picard finishes it with I have to find this first. Like you guys, come on. Come on, yes. Yeah. And that's how we that's how we end the episode on that <laughs> you know, like the funny the funny the the quirky ending of the, uh, the original series. Sure. <laughs> they chase off into the uh, nebula and the Shrike goes after them. Yep. I could see uh, Beverly and well, I could see I could hear Beverly and Jack in like an audio series. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> only because I listen to like a lot of podcasts and stuff, and sometimes I listen to fiction yeah. podcasts. And I could see because Gates McFadden does a mm-hmm. podcast series. I could see her doing a podcast series that's Star Trek fiction, where she's playing Beverly mm-hmm. and her son Jack is playing Jack. Oh, okay. Like to explain, you know, like a backstory, like ex- to explain how we got yeah. here. Yeah, that'd be totally cool. So we had some polls that we went through in this episode. One, two, three, four, five. We are missing one. Least valuable player. Yeah, least valuable player. But I would like to hear yours first. Okay. Mr. Level 10, standard issue, the Brig officer. Oh, okay. Gotcha. My proposal for the least valuable player of this episode was the other person who's in this scene. Because he he didn't do anything in this episode like no jack we spent much of the episode talking about him and then the one thing he did was escape Mm -hmm. to not escape (laughs) he basically just escaped to go to another part of the ship yeah so that's why he he has my my proposal my nomination for least valuable player of the episode because he didn't do anything and the one thing he did do didn't do anything so he didn't do anything why is he here we could talk about him without him being here Okay, I think I know who your MVP is, because it might be mine. How about we count down and just say it? Okay, but we're going to have to choose a second one as well. Oh. Ready on three. One, two, three, Worf. Worf. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then and then who's our, our other MVP? Like, who actually did something of value? I'm going to go with Vatic. You know, strangely, I just don't consider the non-hero. The non-heroes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got to consider uh, everybody. Everybody's got a part to play. Sometimes, sometimes the villain has the best part. Riker did take the initiative and go down to sick bay and go and get Beverly. Okay, so Riker. Okay. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's like, let's move this thing along. <laughs> quit farting around the bush. Quit dancing yeah. around the bush. Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole reveal about Jack. I was afraid that that's where we were going. But 
now that we're here, mm -hmm. I'm really okay with it. Okay. Um, I don't know what my expectations for the future are about it, but I'm glad that we've done it. And I'm, I, 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 I like the idea. Now, do you want to talk about the thing I didn't want to talk about? Uh, sure. So this episode, so it says <laughs> Microsoft Bing, <laughs> is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. This is the episode where the Admiral goes to this outpost and finds out that he has a son with this woman from 20 years ago mm -hmm. that he never knew about. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there's this big villain who's coming after them. Mm -hmm. And he had to commandeer a ship to get here. Well, that might have been a different movie. But just there's a lot of... I'm like, oh, this is Star Trek too. Mm -hmm. That's what Bing did to this episode to me. They were like they they took it down to like a whole level below what it actually what it is for me because they're like <laughs> oh they're they're just repeating the movie like oh I see what I see what you're saying but I don't like it. Yeah, I mean I I get their connections but I'm not drawing those same connections. Yeah, I didn't draw them either. Like even to the point like working on some experimental weapons. Yeah. Genesis um, device. Yeah. Secret son of the admiral, like, uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth to think about. I'm, I'm like, uh, I mean, I see it, but uh. but but he's not a net. She's not a nemesis because she doesn't. Know, well, we don't know that she's that she is a nemesis if she is, because Who, she Vatic? doesn't. Vatic, yeah, she's clearly a nemesis. <laughs> she's clearly well, a nemesis. She's already attacked our heroes. But she's not a recurring nemesis, like. Khan was. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, to the point well we don't know that yet. There's a reason they're playing this Romulan dirge, and I'm wondering if, like, I don't know, is she, like, Sela's daughter or something? I don't know, like, what's going on here? Because why are they playing this Romulan thing? Why is she after, why is she after Jack? Why is she, is she after Jack because he's Jack, or is she after, like, because he's Jack Canby, etc., or is she after Jack because he's Picard's son? Like, what's going on here? Let's... Yeah. Is she just after him because he's she's a bounty hunter and he's a bounty? Yeah. I feel like there's something deeper here. Is my point? Like I, yeah, I just think okay. there's something going on that we just haven't gotten to yet. Mm -hmm. And but are we gonna like continue to piecemeal introduce like characters from the next generation like once an episode or something? <laughs> like who's who do you think is next episode? <laughs> to piecemeal? Oh, and another thing. Okay, so another thing. All right, so another thing. So here's your connection. So this is the thing that that is in the back of my head and bothers and annoys me and I hope it's not true. So uh -huh. one thing is that like, so when they list off the weapons that are on the strike, uh -huh. it is ridiculous, right? Like yeah, yeah. it's way over the top. It's like 8 million photon turbo. It's not really, I'm being hyperbolic, but but they're being hyperbolic when they're describing like these yeah. weapons. Like this is the, the, the weapon complement of like several ships, right? So mm -hmm. it's a little bit like, it's it strains credulity a little bit. But not if, like, it's a holodeck villain. Like, what if this is Moriarty's daughter? And they're actually in the holodeck. Yeah, that was another speculation. And then, I like, was... Jack is not even real. Because there's the whole thing on the in the credits that is, you know, like, for 15 seconds, they're on this holodeck screen of the holodeck booting up. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm, I'm hoping this is not a holodeck thing. Like, it's a fun adventure so far, which is... What happened last season? It was fun, and then it was like, oh, but mm. so like I'm hoping this is not a holodeck thing. I mean, everyone is older, and it seems real. Mm -hmm. 
wormhole what? weapons would be easier in a video game than in reality. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, uh, I hope it's not a holodeck. But if it is a holodeck, I could see why she would be coming after Picard's son. Okay. Because if she's Moriarty's daughter, mm-hmm. that would that would make sense. How did Moriarty get a hold of Picard to kidnap him and bring him into the holodeck? So, and so now I'm drawn back to we did have a reminder of this big energy thing that happened at the very end of last season that we didn't address, and I'm like maybe they were building a giant holodeck because seven's supposed to be seven's supposed to be all the way over on the stargazer and mm-hmm. the la serena is supposed to be in the delta quadrant mm-hmm. so i'm like they aren't building a holodeck season are they uh-oh yeah that's my maybe, only concern <laughs> maybe that's why they're insisting that this is the last season because they know <laughs> that if they do when they pull the yeah. rug out from under us because they're gonna be like uh no they're gonna be canceled yeah. after yeah, this anyway they're gonna be canceled so. anyway so like we also cancel ourselves whatever <laughs> it's like we're gonna make sure that, that they're not gonna want to see picard come back because like, i'm done with this role this is it but they are launching a bunch of other shows that might be interesting and i don't know how if it being a Let's just hope it's on a hologram. It was a dream the whole time. Yeah, that's what I thought of as this connection to uh, of Vatic was maybe she's or uh-huh. maybe Moriarty figured out how to bring Moriarty into the real world. Yeah, maybe the wormhole weapons have to do. Oh, maybe that's why they were developing wormhole stuff is because they have. I would imagine they have Moriarty at the Daystrom Institute, so maybe they were trying to use a wormhole to pull him out of the hollow program how did he figure out that he was in the little yellow cube that was on picard's desk yeah i don't remember but it it happened how well i mean that's the last time we saw moriarty we saw moriarty one time and then we put him away right but during that time he was cognizant of time passing mm-hmm. and he was growing and learning and doing things right so then the mm-hmm. second time we put him in we put him in a, a false basically this universe yeah. so i could see him flipping that around and coming out into the universe to do oh. these things that he's doing or uh, to you know to do some things yeah so maybe it's not a hollow thing but maybe she's a hologram oh because it's again it's the pulling the pulling the infinite rope out of the holodeck right so like yeah if if she pulls if she invents something if you invent something in a holodeck like the strike and you take it out into the real world then it's in the real world but it's definitely like a holodeck creation with these 236 torpedoes yeah And, and definitely the voyager doctor had a way of sometimes cloaking his mobile emitter too yeah yeah yeah, I wonder if the whole the strike is actually just a mobile emitter. <laughs> <laughs> and she's she's she just has she's having so much fun. <laughs> she's definitely a cackling villain right now in, in this by the end of this episode. So what about questions that we had at the end of the episode that we were expecting, hoping would be answered by this episode? We did answer is 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 Jack Jack. Yeah, we we answered Rafi's handler. We did answer that, yes. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. That's two. I, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna say this. We usually put up two, so I'm gonna call that batting a thousand for us. <laughs> okay. 
yeah I'm, I do want to I feel like next episode we might be able to find a connection figure out what yeah. you know what Vatic's connection is because I'm sure there's some sort of deeper connection than just Bounty Hunter yeah I mean who's behind Vatic is my question my speculation right now is either Moriarty or Lore I mean I, I agree with that so and then my other question is which who's going to be the next character that we bring out is it going to be Troy is it going to be uh, Data uh, okay. or, uh-huh. or Lore is it going to be Moriarty Who's going to be LaForge, perhaps? Yeah, we still need to bring... I mean, he'd been name-dropped in the first season and this season. Yeah. But yeah. he's not appeared on screen yet, yeah. to my knowledge. It's about time, I think. Is he still going to have blue eyes? It's likely. <laughs> what are the people or the race that Vatic is, is in command of? That's an interesting question. I don't know. They're just masked beings it's it's very nondescript <laughs> yeah next time we are going to join Captain Picard in 17 seconds Picard grapples with a life altering re- revelation as the crew of the Titan attempt to outmaneuver Vatic so basically the official synopsis says this story continues yeah that's it's a very helpful paramount thank you very much <laughs> i couldn't find it on memory alpha i even checked star trek.com star trek.com is useless i just i'm gonna i'm just gonna put that out here i'm gonna put that out there like just, okay. star trek.com is utterly useless like i there's there's nothing of value except for personal stories that people have written like that fans have written that's the only thing of value on star trek.com like even the marketplace like you can get all that stuff on amazon likely for a little bit cheaper on ebay even cheaper i I checked all the places that you have told me in the past where you found it when i couldn't find it wikipedia i had to go to imdb to find anything Mm. and that's what they've got for us huh next episode the next episode happens (laughs) what (laughs) the other half of it is while while raffi and Worf uncover a plot by a vengeful enemy. Yeah, again, every story in this episode continues. Yeah. That's what Basically, yeah. Yeah, this was this was a, a great episode. I, I really liked it, and I, I feel like I'm going to give it a 9.8. I don't... Oh, because Worf. That's why. It's going to get a 9.8 because Worf. Okay, great. You know what? I agree. 9.8. 9.8 it is. All right, so I guess we are here now. Where? Time for us to fumble the bowl. <laughs> That's right, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week on our review of Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 2. Please join us, and please remember to join us next week. And until next time, please stay positive, dream big, and you'll hear from us again soon. I told you to not engage. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. 
Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay. I have a post-credit scene if you'd like me to read, but I pretty much have to read it because it's a literal oh God. This definition is be horrible. from Go ahead. Shrikes are a small eight to ten inch songbird of the family Len. You are correct. <laughs> The family is composed of 34 species in four genres. The family name and that of the largest genus, Lanus, is derived from the Latin word for butcher, and some shrikes are known as butcher birds because of their feeding habits. Cut that Common English name Shrike is from Old English Shriek, alluding to the Shrieks or the Shrike's Shriek-like call. Most Shrike species have a Eurasian and African distribution, with just two breeding in North America: the Longhead and the Northern Shrike. Unfortunately, no Shrikes have made an unplanned trek further into Pacifica than New Guinea. Is that and what it says in the in the <laughs> definition? Does it say unplanned trek in the definition? No, I was oh, adding, okay. I was saying, I oh added that in on amazing. purpose for a little thing. <laughs> wow. It took us a long time to get here, but that was that was wildly amusing. I thought that was okay. Anyway, please. And none and none have made it into South America. Thank you for that. Yeah, I—I I mean, I, at least I didn't read the whole article because there's a whole page. Okay, you have a good. <laughs> Thank you for letting me read that. Uh-huh. All right, I'm hitting stop. Oh, I have. To...